Welcome to the third episode of the fifth series of the Women in CX podcast, a series dedicated to real talk conversations between women in customer experience. Listen in as we share our career stories, relive the moments that shaped us, and voice our opinions as loudly as we like about all manner of CX subjects. I'll be your host, Claire Musket, and in today's episode, I'll be talking to a seriously brilliant community member from Australia. Let me introduce you to today's inspiring guest. She's the support, knowledge, and content manager at HotDoc, a health tech startup. And having spent over 10 years working with technical customer service and retail roles, she's a leader in the SaaS space and is happiest when delighting customers with a considered and personalized journey. She's also a diversity, inclusion, and belonging leader, working to generate discussions around gender equality and awareness within the workplace. Please welcome to the show, CX sister, Agnes So. Hi, Agnes. Hey, how's it going, Claire? I'm good. Welcome to the Women in CX podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And welcome to everybody who's listening along as well. Uh, so it's super awesome to have you here. I've been in the community how long now? <laughs> I got my one year birthday email the other day and I was like, oh, oh my goodness, I can't, believe, I can't believe it's been one year because it feels much shorter than that. Oh, and it's been amazing to have you with us. And I'm yeah, just super excited to be having this conversation today um, because you've got a super interesting perspective on customer experience from a SaaS tech and health tech point of view, which we're really going to get into a little bit later on. Um, but I'm going to ask you the question I ask all of my guests when they first come on the podcast, and that is to tell the audience a little bit more about how you got into CX and where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Uh I think my journey to CX was probably pretty straightforward. I spent over 13 years working sort of various customer service roles and within retail and uh, tech sort of um, retail outlets. Five of those years was actually spent within Apple, uh, specifically Apple retail, where I think for me, that was where my passion for CX really started because there's something about working for Apple. There's this magic and law that you kind of get inducted into. And, you know, for example, there was kind of this moment where I was being onboarded and someone told me about how the iPhone box, for example, takes like seven seconds to complete uh, opening because that was the perfect length of time that built anticipation and frustration and that perfect sort of Tata moment. So I don't know, for me, that was kind of like a light bulb moment. I sort of thought, holy moly, someone gets paid to think about that. Someone gets paid to research. Uh, it wasn't five seconds. It wasn't six seconds. It wasn't eight seconds. It was seven. And something about that just feel, felt really exciting to me. And also at the time I was a practicing artist. And to me, that felt like it really fed into this psychology piece, which I was also exploring within my art practice. So I didn't know it at the time, but that was customer experience. And then what I did was I kind of sidestepped a little bit and found myself at an early stage health tech startup uh, within Australia. And over the last five years, I've just sort of worked my way up from an entry level role to where I remain today as a senior leader in the customer support knowledge and content team. Oh, amazing. And yet those Apple stories, I just love them because yeah. he was oh, really, so many. Yeah. Oh, I would have to get some more out on the podcast. Then. Um, but yeah, just like the remarkable leadership around product um, that was, you know, led by design, but in a mm. way that totally appealed to experience. 
um, I think quite often we see you know product led um, businesses like kind of losing focus on the customer, don't they, in terms of design and innovation and feature releases and stuff. Um, but it was a groundbreaking product in so many ways. <laughs> um, yeah. But the experience and the, the, the retail stores and you know the amount of thought that went into, as you say, you know, like every kind of moment and touch point of becoming an iPhone user or customer. Um, and I, I can speak from my own experience, like how quite uniquely um, the, the, the tech stack that I now operate, which includes an iPhone 12, an Apple Watch, and a, a MacBook and an iMac. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that like once you're kind of in and you're used to using um, Apple products, like I can't, I don't want to leave that ever. <laughs> no, everything is designed to keep you in that ecosystem. And I had never seen something so, uh, when you think about customer journey maps, I think they must have the most insane customer journey maps squirreled away somewhere in their Cupertino side or whatever, because every single second, every single moment is thought about the way that you present yourself uh, within that journey too has been thought about. And yeah, all the way down to, what am I going to buy next? You know, um, for me, there's just such a, there's such an art to how they've done it. And it really impressed me and made such an impact that I went, this is what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. Like a super inspiring moment. And yeah, we need mm. more of that kind of alchemy and art and science blend that businesses mm. like Apple have been able to do, but it is rare, isn't it? And that's why it's so remarkable because it's not easy to do. Um, so we're going to come and explore this art and science a little bit more more shortly. But um, you know, you mentioned being an artist is like where you started, and you know, kind of fell into customer experience through getting a job in retail and discovering that this thing existed that actually made you feel as, as inspired. But um, I'd love to kind of like hear a little bit more about that and you know the challenge of um, or barrier that there was to um, becoming the woman that you are today. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, as I said, I sort of found my way into CX through uh, kind of an alignment with my art practice and that piece, that psychology piece that I spoke about. But for me, the a really hard decision was actually deprioritizing my art practice in order to focus on CX as a career pathway. And I wouldn't say it was so much that it was incredibly challenging, but it was kind of hard to reconcile with that decision because for me, the idea of creativity or being a creative person was actually very much entrenched in my identity. It was something I had wanted to do since I was young. I think uh, all the way back to when I was like five, I can pinpoint the moment where I knew I was a creative person and it was so baked into who I was that I didn't really know how to take this new passion and uh, realize creativity through that. But towards the end, I knew I wasn't as motivated through my art practice and I didn't feel like I could make as much of an impact through that as I could if I was to get the CX stuff right. And for me, uh, that just was kind of the, that was where, uh, that was the deciding point, right? And for me, I feel like it made me who I am today because uh, I went through a very quick process of understanding how I could uh, take that creativity that I had in my art practice and feed it into my CX practice so that I could uh, 
essentially reuse the skills and it wasn't something that was a waste of my time it was something that was very valuable that I spent a, you know a fair amount of my early 20s doing but I was able to sort of recycle those skills in a different way and impact more people as a result. So tell us more about that so how how were these skills transferable can you give us some examples? Yeah absolutely I always say I I honestly have so much honor for anyone who is an artist because being an artist is like running a small business, except that business is essentially you. You have to wear so many hats, whether it be, you know, um, self-promotion or whether it's creating your own budgets or how to even project manage something from end to end. Uh, those are all things that you have to do and no one teaches those things to you. You just have to learn them on the fly. So for Great. me, uh, there were, yeah, there were a couple of things. I think wearing all those different hats really resonated with me, especially working uh, and moving within the tech space because when you're in an early stage startup, when you're working in tech, there's so many times when you have to do so many different things all at once and you have to be like a, a you have to be something that just morphs to what's needed. You know, mm -hmm. I always call that like you're, you're the liquid that morphs into the space that's uh, that. You, you need to fulfill so um, that's definitely one way in which I sort of see the creative side coming into CX but the biggest way I see it is actually through problem solving because I think creative people are the best problem solvers because they can see things or problems in a way that others just can't and that it's interesting what you were saying before about the whole alchemy piece um, of like art uh, and I think we were talking about this another day what is CX? In some cases, it kind of is an alchemy of um, art and science, right? Mm -hmm. The art piece is the creative problem solving for me, but the science is actually the uh, data. So being data driven with your decisions. Uh, so whether that be having really strong voice of customer programs or, you know, making sure that you have a way to understand your channels and your the people that you service, you just need something to point you towards the direction and then you solve the problems through creativity instead. I think we need to dig a little bit deeper into this and, and I, I apologize yeah. I'm just looking down at my, my phone no. because I read like an amazing book and I just want to make sure I quote um, the guy correctly mm. um, because this whole notion of alchemy was only recently introduced to me and I read a book called Alchemy by Rory Sutherland oh. who was one of the great marketers um, mm. and it really inspired me actually to be considering you know this aspect of um, I guess marketing and customer experience as well that like it's the beliefs that people hold about the product or a service and how they experience mm. it dictates their value their appreciation of it um, this 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 element of like emotion that we talk about a lot in CX but it's quite hard to distill and quantify but you know like brands spend so much money on creating the beliefs right within the customer's mind and it's the customer mm. experience that can really shake that if it's not true or enhance that and you know reinforce the um the alchemical stuff that <laughs> um you know people far smarter than me know how to do when it comes to building brands but it also really resonated with me um when you were talking about you know kind of like how adaptable you have to be um you know, this is my first startup experience. You know, we built our own tech platform and MVP in eight weeks, obviously not proprietary necessarily, but um, but how you have to just become whatever the organization needs you to be at the time. I don't I don't think that's just restricted to startups, actually. And, and I think it's one of the most common mistakes that customer experience people who, who work in CX make is rather than being able to be 
adaptable and figure out and problem solve where can I add value they're constantly thinking how can I get business to do this thing that I think is customer experience and you know quite often unsuccessfully I'm trying to boil the ocean and you know fix everything within the customer journey and the business just isn't ready to listen to or they don't get it you know and they just feel so ground down by that experience so um, mm. I guess now having worked in uh, a startup and seeing like my team flourish um, to be these like completely adaptable, incredible problem solvers, it just really reminded me, I guess this was something that was always innate within me as a, an entrepreneur. I was an intrapreneur when I worked in the business side <laughs> um, and having your own experience of like the, the, the artist career, um, clearly it instills something similar um, within you to be able to do that. Um, yeah. But yeah, but that, I think that it needs to dig a little bit deeper into this decision, though, because like art is your craft, isn't it? It's a passion. It's a purpose. It's like something deeply intertwined, as you said, with your identity. Like, what was that actually like for you? You know, you said you got, became a bit disenchanted by it, but that's hard, isn't it? To like let go of what you think you always wanted to be. And even though you can see there's another way that you can apply yourself, like, was that a, a difficult experience? I think it was difficult because, um, you know, there's also a lot of added pressure because people know know you as, um, you know, a practicing artist and even just post the decision, people would be like, how's that going? And you would feel like a failure to, and having to explain, oh, well, you know, I actually decided um, I'm going to invest more of my time here instead of here. But uh, I also went through a lot of discovery and it's, I don't think I'm unique. I, there's a lot of people who have gone through similar pathways where they try and understand what creativity actually means within their day-to-day -day life. And mm -hmm. for me, I think uh, creativity is so much more than just creating an art piece that sits on a wall or, you know, um, painting on canvas or whatever it might be that, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, specific art practices will uh, essentially, essentially achieve. For me, it's storytelling, right? Being able to influence someone through the gift of how I speak to them is something that we do in CX all the time. And even today we had um, we had a sort of presentation that we were doing within our CX department about what was upcoming in H2. And there was such a, a beautiful moment where I just went, this is this is all part of the puzzle. This is me being creative and this is me uh, sort of still having that ability to tell a story and motivate others to do, to do good, to be their best selves. And that to me is kind of what art tries to do in some ways, uh, dependent on the artist. But uh, that was kind of what I felt I was able to achieve through funneling the ideas into a different way of execution, really. Love that. What a powerful quote. <laughs> it really, really, really resonates. Super inspiring. And, and I guess it's the, alchem the alchemy of leadership when it comes to CX mm. as well, isn't it? So being able to engage people to want to, as you say, you know, be a better, be a better human, do good, mm. like, you know, you harness your own power to make a difference to the world. That's, um, again, something that is rare and beautiful and indeed art. Um, so, so just for the audience, really, to understand a little bit more about your the space that you occupy as a CX leader, can you kind of explain a bit more about this health tech space and kind of what, what you do and the role of, I guess, 
customer support in relation to success and customer experience more broadly can you just give us a bit of a download of how it all fits together <laughs> yeah for sure I was thinking about this and for me the health tech space has really changed a lot over the last decade I kind of distinctly remember probably about 10 years ago in my early 20s I was really terribly ill one night and I remember just being up all night and being so worried because I knew I had to see a doctor but all you could do back then was actually wait until 8 a.m. in the morning when the clinic would open and hope to God that when you called, they would have an appointment for you that day, right? And I remember just thinking, gosh, you know, I can make appointments to cut my hair, but I can't make an appointment to see a GP. And that's why when I sort of fell into, you know, applying for a job at uh, this company, it's it just felt like I really resonated with the mission statement and what they were trying to achieve. It was something that it was a product that I felt really close to personally. And um, I think when in this particular space, you've got to also think about the customer too, right? It's not just about, um, you know, uh, uh, the customer being a clinic. It's about the customer being a clinic as a small business, because in Australia, while we have, a public health system and it gives us sort of like a reimbursed fee or what we call sort of bulk build or fully covered medical care a lot of our customers are still considered small to medium businesses so we've had to really consider how we service them from that perspective because their customers are patients right it's you know if you think about it our customers are clinics and their customers are patients so for us I think we're quite uniquely placed because we are B2B primarily, but I think that changes depending on what the customer actually needs from us on any given day. And uh, for me, you know, you're talking about how do we sort of uh, sort of structure ourselves within the CX space to, in order to be able to service these types of customers. And we went through so many iterations to even land on the current iteration of our org structure right now. And I wouldn't be surprised that this would evolve maybe in like two, three months to be something different as well. But just to take you through how we've landed, for now, our CX team is actually built up of around three unique functions. So we have customer support, customer success, and also a separate CS division for our key accounts and our enterprise customers. So I think from a customer support level, I would actually say that we're closer to being B2C because we actually focus on transactional reactive servicing work. So we're just sort of asking or answering how-to inquiries or troubleshooting issues that people have. And in these instances, while we're still technically touching businesses, it doesn't quite feel the same. Whereas our success <laughs> team, really, yeah. Sorry, so, so just to clarify, so is that like the patients that you're supporting or is no, it the, the clinics directly? The clinics yeah, we've not yeah. even gotten to the patients yet. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so that's the clinics directly. That feels more B2C uh, through our support team. But then we have our success team and that really does feel like that B2B place because they focus on providing value to all of our customers because they pay us for a system so that they can get close to their patients, right? That's the whole point of the software that we provide. And um, for us, I think that uh, the success team really focuses on that value piece and being sort of a trusted advisor or helping them operate their business in the most uh, impactful way for their patients. So then we throw in the last customer profile, which is the patient, right? The patients who use the app. So while they're not really always considered our customers uh, directly, uh, they are ones that we support through our support team as well. And then we become sort of like this B2B 
fee to see or pay as you said it before <laughs> yeah kind of business and uh it becomes a sort of like strange uh I guess way in which we touch all of them in order to be able to improve everyone's healthcare experience yeah and and just for clarity again for the audience to understand um so you, hot doc is an app and it enables patients to book appointments through telehealth it enables a lot of things so it enables them to do standard consultations in person that's where we first started it's kind of our bread and butter but yeah more recently with COVID obviously uh, telehealth became more of a thing and it's mm -hmm. funny because prior to COVID I think a lot of people would have said telehealth wasn't mm -hmm. uh, something that they would prefer but now I think more than ever it's actually a really valuable way to connect with a general practitioner because it might suit your lifestyle a lot more a lot more you might deal with social anxiety you might have all these reasons why you know seeing someone face to face isn't as great of an experience for mm -hmm. you and having telehealth is just so easy but uh primarily i think uh we kind of call ourselves a patient engagement app uh, so yeah. what we mean by that is we help our clinics just uh communicate better to their patient base and we hope that in doing so it actually allows people to feel more empowered to take control of their healthcare, uh, get closer to their general practitioners and uh, essentially work on that preventative piece as opposed to reacting to issues as they arise. So that's kind of like the greater, greater scope of what we're trying to achieve. But in, on a day-to-day -day basis, it's yeah, online bookings, reminders about your appointments, bringing you back into the clinic if you need like a, another test or you know all those sorts of like little tiny automated things. Yeah, it's super, super interesting though, isn't it? Because like, mm. a lot of the time tech is implemented as a reason to, I don't know, let's say save money. So particularly things around contact centers, a lot of tech's being implemented to divert people away from contact with a human because of the cost implicate involves. But I, mm. I, I, I'm always up for it, you know, celebrating and sharing stories where tech and automation is a win-win for, um, let's say on this occasion, the patient, the clinic, <laughs> um, and, and the business more broadly, because um, I think kind of the employee experience of trying to shuffle and manage paperwork and uh, reminders and all that kind of thing, yes, it is expensive, but it's also a really difficult job. So being able to um, create automation that also helps employees have a better experience um, of, of the working environment is good. Does, does, does what you do handle things like payments as well? Yes. So again, COVID kind of forced this or it forced technological advancement really in the space because uh, number one, a lot of people who work within the space, uh, obviously it's very tightly regulated by the government. So there's a lot of trust that needs to be built in order for people to even want to in introduce technology to automate processes that they would have normally trusted a human for, such as something like payments. So uh, COVID kind of forced a lot of people to adopt uh, but more than ever we kind of saw a need to be able to take uh, online payments specifically if a patient wasn't actually going to be physically in the clinic mm -hmm. to have their appointment we wanted to make it easy because at that point a lot of a lot of receptionists specifically they were spending a lot of their time chasing up appointments that were done via telehealth and then taking credit card details over the phone so not super secure not a great experience for the patient and we thought there's probably a better way in which we could do this and so was born our online payments 
uh, our online payments product, which is still in iteration today, uh, two years, two and a half years later, I reckon. But it's kind of like, it's something that's really exciting for me, I think, because you kind of think of it like the Uber for healthcare, right? Mm. Uh, you know, something where you think end to end, a patient could make an online booking, go to see their practitioner and walk out the door. And they don't even have to think about, you know, what it, what it costs because they already know ahead of time when they booked mm. and that gets automatically deducted. Like how, how great of an, for me uh, as a patient, that would have been an incredible experience. So yeah, we're focusing on all those little tiny bits and pieces that we think we could automate and, just make it a lot easier for a patient to get involved in healthcare, specifically their own. My little geeky senses just sprung <laughs> up then because I'm currently researching for a keynote that I'm going to be doing in the USA um, around customer experience or humanizing healthcare experiences. Um, so it'd be really great actually to share a little bit more about what HotDoc are doing maybe in my presentation about that. Um, but then the, the, it's, it sounds quite similar in terms of the, the multitude of stakeholder relationships that contribute to a patient experience. And, I, and I'm looking at this from like a health insurance provider angle. So um, so looking at kind of like the, the, the journey, the process of the systems technology, the customer, <laughs> the end user, typically gets their insurance through their company so when they join a company they get it as a benefit in kind so kind of the start of the journey is onboarding via their HR department um, and then the health insurance provider then has their own kind of systems and processes that sit behind that um, which is dealing with um, you know the, the, the payroll is paying deductions out like a b2b experience and then right. like you, you're saying that like kind of within the, the clinics or the the end the health providers and then this extra dimension on um recharges and um you know book, bookkeeping i guess you'd say patient record keeping um and one of the stats that i've come across is that, that people would rather go to the dmv than deal with the health insurer <laughs> which is you know challenge right so 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 this is like super interesting to hear, you know, like the mission that you guys are on to actually, you know, create the ultimate healthcare experience that Uber of healthcare um, is really inspiring. Um, but I was going to ask, like, do you have that component in Australia? Is it a health insurance or a national health or is there yeah, an aspect? Uh, so uh like automated sort of health insurance policies or ways? Well, which... no, I just meant like that. Yeah. How does the healthcare system work? Is it? Like in oh, the UK, right. we have National Health Service and everything's pretty much free at point mm. of delivery. Uh, we pay for our prescriptions, but we do that kind of directly. But in America, uh, it's there's no, well, there's a limited health uh, service, which is only accessible to certain groups of people. So most people have to go through health insurance and therefore right. it's actually a business of health <laughs> rather than yeah. a service that's provided. I just wondered what it was like in Australia. Is that? Yeah, in Australia, I guess it's similar. We have what's called Medicare. So Medicare is the government funded or the sort of like the public health system. Health system. And yeah, specifically for our customers, they will benefit from Medicare because the appointments that they they do through their general practitioners at their clinic site 
they'll actually be reimbursed by this Medicare program. Yeah. So most of our clinics, actually, it's a, it's a pretty topical question that you asked because a lot of our clinics are actually experiencing uh, what everyone's experiencing right now, which is cost of living is rising, rising. and so is cost of, yeah, cost of operations. And what used to happen was a lot of these clinics would be what we call bulk billed. So 100% of your appointment fee was essentially reimbursed by the government. But because the government um, can only give X amount of money, what they're finding now is the that amount of money doesn't actually cover their operating costs. So a lot of them have to now move or make a decision to move to either what we call mixed billing, where they sort of do a half and half system, or private billing, where they essentially do a very large sort of out-of-pocket or what we call a gap fee. So yeah, it's, it's quite topical because all of that comes into the idea of running a business, right? And uh, while we do have this really great public healthcare system, has all these uh, reimbursements, uh, our customers are really still feeling it at the end of the day when it comes to all of the world events that's causing, you know, mm-hmm. severe inflation and uh, all those operating costs to rise. Yeah, and it's a real problem in the UK at the moment that nobody can get a GP appointment. Like I know my <laughs> mom and her partner um, they're on like a waiting list of like six months to just have general appointments. Um, mm. And I recognize what you were saying a little bit earlier about like the shift of patient behavior during the pandemic to mm. you know something they previously might have just been like, I'll never do that. I'll never see a doctor via telehealth. And actually you had to because there was no choice. And mm. people got used to it. And a lot of people are like, oh, actually, this is okay. And um, a lot of UK general practitioners now have kind of introduced technology for bookings for telehealth appointments being the first point of contact rather than the GP appointment I assume for similar reasons um but the volume and capacity management is more efficient with clear bookings digital systems and processing um because yeah you physically can't get an appointment to see someone in person now but I don't know how 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 much those two things are actually interrelated the shift to digital Mm. um versus you know just the overcapacity challenge um but anyway so (laughs) there's lots going on Um, but what's the future going to look like you know kind of you you, we've dealt with like this unprecedented demand for healthcare you know you guys were a huge part of the vaccination program like you've clearly learned a lot of these products iterated and developed as a result of changes in in needs what do you think the future of healthcare tech looks like yeah if you had asked me maybe a week before I would have probably said it slightly differently but it, for me right now it's actually quite hard to think about post pandemic because all the advice in Australia is actually we're heading into the wave of reinfections you know we've reinstated our pandemic payments uh, so I think in some cases COVID's probably not ending anytime soon, which means that there's probably a lot more of that lingering tech assistance that we can still do. Even just today, uh, we had a change in sort of the, uh, I guess, the recommendations of what can be delivered to children. And uh, I was already on a Slack being like, hey, there was a VAX change. Let's get that sorted for our customers and get that rolled out as soon as possible. So that continues to still be a focus, I think, for us. 
But as I said, the silver lining kind of is that all of this COVID stuff really fast tracked the adoption of tech in one of those really highly regulated industries. And now more than ever, they're actually asking for more features and how we can solve all these little tiny problems for them. And I think, it, as you said, it's also helped patients discover how tech can make things easier for them when managing their own healthcare. So for me, um, I think uh, the future really is understanding how we can be more holistic around some of that. So uh, one thing that we are looking looking at is the GP, for example, is only one slice of the pie when it comes to managing your healthcare. Most people will have, you know, a regular dentist that they go to or a regular optometrist or a psychologist or any of the mix of the above. If they need surgery, they'll go to a specialist, for example. And for me, I definitely see that there's a lot of potential for us to bring a lot of these sort of different disparate. specialties mm -hmm. together yeah and disparate uh, specialties together and make things easier for them too because you know they need to work on things like referrals for example mm -hmm. a gp will refer you to a surgeon but what happens with that referral is it on paper is it you know how can we digitize some of that a lot of stuff still gets faxed for example uh, you'll you, I'm sure you probably can't believe how much stuff still gets faxed nowadays when it comes to the medical space. So I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, but the biggest thing is also just we were able to be successful within the GP space because we really, truly trust. Uh, we really, truly understood the GP market when we're looking at all of these other specialties, they're all different and they operate differently. So from a customer experience perspective, uh, we have to go down the same route of trying to figure out what makes them tick and what, um, what will actually solve their problems. Because what will solve the problem of an optometrist might not be the same as a psychologist, for example. Um, so yeah, I think there's one thing is getting that holistic view. And then also now that we have sort of the foundation of payments, how can we, uh, I guess, amplify that to make it even easier for a patient you know can we automate things like script renewals or can we do other things such as um you know being able to as as you said take away more social anxiety from people and give them a really seamless experience with the online payment process where we can go all the way from end to end whether that be online bookings see the practitioner uh, through telehealth and or, and or telehealth video pay for that online and then have something delivered to your door to help you with your healthcare. I think all of those things would just be like, you know, taking away the stress of what it means to look after yourself. And if we can prioritize that, then I think we're doing something right. Yeah. And um, again, cause I've just been like researching in this space at the moment. Mm. Um, I think there's a really interesting overlap with like medical, sorry, not medical health tech, like that is, your own stuff um mm. so the reason I have an apple watch was because um a, a while back just before the pandemic I signed up with a private medical insurance group called vitality health and um what really appealed to me was the holistic way in which they wanted to help you prevent illness in the future so one of the things that um, really attracted me to, you know, giving this a try was, you know, not only do they give you like 50% off gym subscriptions and um, that you can get 50% off trainers so you can like start exercising and running. Like, you know, they, they try to give you benefits as a member of this like healthcare, um, which really, I guess it's just health insurance. Um, like the, the front end experience of membership to, this community where like you connect your apple watch to their app 
and if you hit your steps goals for example you get a free starbucks um wow yeah cinema tickets like if you've been doing all the things that you're supposed to do and tracking and there's a lot of integrations with different um apps that the I guess it's a customer. I don't know what, what I would be mm. in this instance. The, the human who's trying to be healthy. Um, mm. And and for me, I think there's there's a, a a real kind of potential future opportunity to bring some of these what are currently more disparate propositions that are offered in silos. So like companies who have health um, and well-being initiatives versus the health insurers versus the tech providers that can help to bring these things together but actually that the the world becomes a healthier nation or even if you just think of the UK because um, we've managed to join the dots between um, different kinds of technologies occupying different spaces but with the intention of like you know right back to your point at the beginning making a difference making a difference to people's mm -hmm. health Obviously, the healthier the population, the less um, cost to the government for medical programs, the healthier the nation, obviously, as, as individuals, like the happier we'll be to stay healthier for longer. And um, when it comes to insurers, the less money they're paying out. So there's like this kind of global benefit, right, to helping people at the front end become more healthy. And I think technology is really a, a, a super helpful way of, of doing that like I I'm probably like not it's not can't really call me an early adopter anymore but I'm like a super user of um my own health tech and tracking like my apple watch and me we do our steps together I record my workouts I, it's connected to my peloton bike um everything that I do like is recorded I like journal on a weekly basis I work with a pt um only on notion actually but yeah, i'm sure there's a way that he could have an app that could interface with all of this stuff um but but, but i think kind of the, the i use all of those services that you mentioned you know i have a dentist i have a doctor i have a psychologist i have like the whole suite and a personal trainer i have a chiropractor i have holistic practitioners that i also work with around my health like i think that would just be amazing if there was a way that that could um all be brought into a, a singular bookings payment tracking experience for me that would help me get healthier and, and access that but obviously I'm probably a bit of an edge case because I don't think that many people are as obsessed about their Apple Watch as I am so that conversation brought us all the way back to Apple again <laughs> we started with Apple we ended with Apple I promise this podcast is not sponsored by Apple <laughs> Um, but it's been amazing to, to have you on the show. What what one piece of advice or like takeaway would you like women in CX out there to have from our conversation today, Agnes? Mm, this, I think we covered a lot of things, but the truth of the matter is a lot of uh, what we're able to achieve. It comes back down to that psychology piece that we talked about at the beginning, right? And uh, there's a reason we love Apple. There's a reason we trust in it. And there's a reason you're happy to do all the steps to get your cinema tickets. And I think it comes down to the idea of trust in the business and whether you can maintain that trust as a CX team as well uh, when you're thinking about you know your relationships with your customers and even like tenuous relationships like our uh, customers pay customers our customers mm -hmm. patients right so for me I think it's about focusing on 
you can do all the right things, but if you don't have that trust piece, if people uh, on us, you know, on that level don't actually want to buy in, then they're not going to, right? So the way you kind of build trust is by being consistent, I think, and listening to your customers and getting as close to being their trusted advisor as possible. And I think that's how we were able to get the market share in the GP space here in Australia is by being that trusted advisor and really listening to the pain points and the needs of that GP space and solving for them, uh, you know, individually. So yeah, I would say work on being a trusted advisor for your customers and that psychology piece, because I think that's when you are really truly customer obsessed. Mm, I love that and amen to all of that I, I I just thought it was wonderful I you know thank you so much for giving us an insight into the health tech space the healthcare space the future of health tech and um, thank you for sharing your story about how um, you learned to harness your creativity and apply it in our fields um, I, I I can feel it in your voice that you're so passionate about um, customer experience doing you know better for the humans at the end of your service whether it's you know the client or it's the end customer um yeah I'm feeling like super buzzed ready to go into my day and deliver great service myself now so thank you so much Agnes and yeah looking forward to continuing to collaborate with you in the women in CX community (laughs) wonderful thank you so much Claire thank you to everyone for listening along as well and we'll see you all next time bye for now Thanks for listening to the Women in CX podcast with me, Claire Musket. If you enjoyed the show, please drop us a like, subscribe and leave a review on whichever platform you're listening or watching on. And if you want to know more about becoming a member of the world's first online community for women in customer experience, please check out womenincx.community and follow the Women in CX page on LinkedIn. Join us again next time when I'll be talking to one of our community members from Ireland about frontline customer service and dealing with bullying in the workplace. See you all next time.